Romans 13, page 1145 of your Pew Bibles. Though a short chapter, yet packed with instruction. Here we see the living sacrifices theme continued in our subjection to lawful authority and governing ourselves by God's law of love and redeeming the time, putting off the old man and putting on the new. Hear now the reading of God's infallible word inspired by his spirit, his oracles, which are profitable for us. Romans 13, starting at verse 1. Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, for there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. Whosoever therefore resisteth the power resisteth the ordinance of God. And they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. For rulers are not a terror to good work, but to the evil. Wilt thou then not be afraid of the power? Do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the same. For he is the minister of God to thee for good. But if thou do that which is evil, be afraid. For he beareth not the sword in vain. For he is the minister of God, a revenger to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. Wherefore, ye must needs be subject, not only for wrath, but also for conscience' sake. For, for this cause pay ye tribute also, for they are God's ministers, attending continually upon this very thing. Render therefore to all their dues, tribute to whom tribute is due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. Owe no man anything but to love one another, for he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. For this, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, thou shalt not covet, and if there be any other commandment, it is briefly comprehended in this saying, namely, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Love worketh no ill to his neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. And that, knowing the time that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk honestly as in the day, not in rioting and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness, not in strife and envying, but put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill the lusts thereof. Thus far the reading of God's most holy word from Romans chapter 13. First here in verses 1 through 6, we have the theme of the living sacrifices being subject to lawful authority and the doctrine of distributive justice. Verse 1 says, let every soul be subject unto the higher powers. This is our duty of subjection. 
the papal authority being anti-Christian opposed this and said, well, our popes and our bishops and our monks don't have to be subject to civil powers. In fact, they have to be subject to us. That is the temporal rule of the popes. It it says no such thing. It says every soul is to be subject, including those pastors at Rome to whom he's writing as well as their congregants. Why? Why? Verse 1, for there is no power but of God. This is the first reason why we have a duty of subjection. God is the source of the higher powers. They come from him. As Jesus came from the Father, so the civil magistrate comes from God. He is the source of civil power. Verse 1, the powers that be are ordained of God. That is, Hupa tu theu, under God. Here it's a different word. The first was apa, God is the source that they come from. Now God is the sovereign who rules over them and they are under him. That's how they are ordained. Ordained being a passive verb. It's something that God does. He ordains them to be under him as his watchdogs, you might say. Verse two then informs us as a conclusion from these doctrines, whosoever therefore resisteth the power resisteth the ordinance of God. That specific power, he uses the definite article, that power outlined in verse 1, that is the power that if you resist it, you resist God's ordinance. Any civil power then, which has God as its source and God as the sovereign ruler over it, that is God's ordinance not to be resisted. Notice verse 2, they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. Not only is it resisting God's ordinance, but it is a damnable practice, he says. God will judge such as resist lawful authority. He will doom them to eternal punishment. And why is it? Why would God damn and condemn people who resist these authorities? Verse 3, for rulers are not a terror to good works, but to the evil. There we see the reason why resistance entails damnation is because those lawful rulers terrorize certain types of people. This is what we call distributive justice, where the arm of civil power comes down to crush those who do what displeases God. God, remember, ordains them under him, And therefore, they must follow his rules. They must terrorize those that God says are evil. But notice also, do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the same. Everyone in authority has a duty to countenance the good and to discountenance the evil. This is like a frowning face. Don't do that. That's discountenancing. Good job, that is countenancing. Magistrates have a duty to wield the sword and to say, I disapprove of this evil by punishing it. And to those who do what is good, to praise them and say, well done. Doing what is good, the emperor Justinian said the following, doing good is to live honestly, to hurt no man by word or deed, And to give every man his due. That's a good life, in other words. That's a doing of good. 
Live honestly, hurt no man by word or deed, and give every man his due. Again, why then? Why do they wield such authority? Why do they have God to back up their position? Verse 4, for he is the minister of God to thee for good. He is God's diakonos, God's servant. Also, another reason, he beareth not the sword in vain. This sword is the sword for butchery, for cutting animals to death and then cutting them into pieces and selling them in the shambles. The beheading sword, in other words. Magistrates, lawful magistrates, do not make a vain show by having instruments of death that they will not use, as in our day. When something is in vain, it isn't actually put into execution. It's just there symbolically. It's not actually used. I have a sword to cut your head off, but do you ever cut anyone's head off? If you don't, it is in vain. It says that lawful magistrates are a revenger to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. God has wrath against certain types of behaviors. They then stand in God's place and God says, I want you to punish these deeds on my behalf. My wrath, you execute it against these evildoers. Him that doeth evil, the apostle says. But notice, our obedience to magistrates is not merely because they'll punish us, not merely for the wrath that would come against us, but also for the sake of our conscience, verse 5 informs us. Now think this through. If my conscience as a Christian condemns me when I do certain things, and the magistrate says, well, it's okay if you want to do those things, is that what he's talking about? Is that a lawful magistrate? What if my conscience says, this is a good thing, and God informs me in his word, this is most certainly a good thing, and the magistrate comes in and punishes you for doing that good thing? Is that the sort of magistrate he's talking about? No. It's precisely the inverse. The magistrate described in this passage is one whom my conscience as a Christian and his laws as a magistrate agree together that this deed ought to be punished, that this is sinful. And he says, for this cause, you pay tribute. Here's why taxes are not theft. When the law of your conscience as a Christian and the law of a magistrate as the punisher and avenger of wrath, when those agree in one, that's why you pay taxes. For they are God's ministers, he says in verse 6. Different word from the previous verse, verse 4, where he says he is a minister. This word means one who executes public service on behalf of God. Usually one who leads in worship. Paul says he was a minister of the gospel in chapter 15, verse 6 of Romans. Epaphroditus, his fellow laborer in Philippians 2.25, is referred to as a minister. The angels are called ministering spirits in Hebrews 1, verses 7 and 14. Christ, our high priest, is a minister in Hebrews 8, verse 2. And Aaron and his descendants are ministers in Hebrews 10, verse 11, in the earthly tabernacle. This word minister refers to the first table of the law. 
not merely to the second table of the law. Therefore, lawful magistrates have their source in God himself. They are subject to his sovereign decrees. They are under God. They are a terror to evil works, not to good. They are God's deacons or servants to serve us for our good and our wealth. They strike terror into evildoers' minds. They do not vainly carry about the instruments of death. They execute God's wrath on them that do evil. They bind themselves by the same law that binds a Christian's conscience, and they are paid taxes for their public religious services that they offer to God attending on these very matters. Now let me ask you a question. Are there any magistrates according to this description in our day? I would say you'd be hard-pressed to find a handful in the Commonwealth of Virginia. But what must we do in such a lawless age? We must, as far as they are lawful, support them. As far as the conscience says, yes, that ought to be punished, we must support them. We must subject ourselves to them when they rule lawfully. But if they begin to become tyrannical, if they bear the sword in vain, if they punish them that do evil, we are not to say they are lawful, lest we defy God, the sovereign over civil government, and take his name in vain and say, you, God, are the source of these evil, wicked tyrants. Is a tyrant of God? Is God the author of evil? Does he approve of sin? No. Therefore, we cannot submit our conscience to satanic or wicked magistrates. But so far as magistrates are lawful, we must support and encourage them in it. We must pray and work toward the abolition of tyranny and the establishment of lawful magistrates who are of God, who are under God, who punish the evil and praise them that do well. And we must never pretend that lawless, tyrannical, wicked men are magistrates ordained of God, lest we use that word God to mean Satan. Verses 7 through 10 then refers to living sacrifices and the duty of what we call commutative justice, the duties we owe to one another, how that relates to God's law and the law of love. Verse 7, render therefore to all their dues. This is commutative justice, as I mentioned. This is righteousness, which we'll look at in Romans 5, 7, God willing, in a little bit. You give everyone what you owe them. Tribute to whom tribute, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear. This is the fifth commandment. Honor your father and your mother and all other authorities. He says then, owe no man anything but to love. This is the one debt or duty. The word duty refers to owing something to someone. What is my duty to God? It's what I owe to him. What is my duty to my neighbor? It's what I owe to them. We, we owe a debt of love. He that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. There are songs about love where people ask, what is love? I want to know what love is. 
I want you to show me. Well, open your Bible, please, to Romans chapter 13. And you will find God actually says, this is what love is. This is how you know whether you love someone else. What men call love might be their lust. It might be their affections, their appetites. But God defines love. He that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. Because when you boil it all down and you ask yourself, what do the Ten Commandments teach me toward my neighbor? As a living sacrifice to God, love thy neighbor as thyself. This is true love. Treat others as you would want to be treated. This is the brief comprehension in verse 9, briefly comprehended in this saying. And if you had anything else that was commanded with your duty toward your neighbor, you could sum it up under that one commandment. Love thy neighbor as thyself. Verses 11 through 14, we then have the living sacrifices redeeming the time, putting off the old man, putting on the new in light of the gospel and the seasons that are upon us. Verse 11, the apostle says, and that knowing the time. This is the word kairos, knowing the season, knowing the opportunity, knowing the occasion that you're in. That it is high time, he says, to wake out of your sleep. It's beyond the occasion. It is the supreme occasion for you to awake out of your sleep. The Geneva notes say an application taken from the circumstances of the time which also itself puts us in mind of our duty, seeing that this remains after which the darkness of ignorance and wicked affections by the knowledge of God's truth is driven out of us, that we order our life according to that certain and sure rule of all righteousness and honesty, being fully grounded upon the power of the Spirit of Christ. Christ's Spirit works in us. God's Word speaks to us. This is the time. Redeem it. Cast off, he says, the works of darkness. Put on the armor of light. This is the same as he says in Ephesians 4, put off the old man, put on the new. Verse 14, put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ. He creates a new man inside of us. We are predestinated unto good works. And make, he says, no provision for the flesh to fulfill the lusts thereof. Provision is where you continually provide life-giving support to something, like an animal. You stop feeding your animal, your animal dies. You stop feeding yourself, you die. When you make provision for something, you keep it alive. Just give it a little bit. Just give it a little bit of what it wants and it'll stay with you. So, he says, make no provision for the flesh. This is not talking about lawful meat and drink, medicines when you need it, herbs to help your body, water to nourish your body, to hydrate you. No, that's your flesh. He's talking, not talking about your body. He's talking about your sinful desires, your fallen nature, the old man. Don't keep him on life support. Kill him. Take him off of life support. Do not enable him to have things to feed on, in other words. Now, by the way, this is the great Augustine's passage of conversion. A man living a dissolute, godless, lust-filled life, 
He hears someone say, take up and read, tole lege, tole lege. He takes up the Bible and he begins to read. And what passage does he find? Let us walk honestly as in the day, not in rioting and drunkenness, exactly where his life was at this time, not in chambering and wantonness, not in strife and envying, but put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh. Repent of your old way, Augustine. Turn from your life of dissolute, lawless, and wickedness. Come to the Lord Jesus Christ and receive eternal life through him. There is the gospel in a nutshell for us, the good news that those who are dead, those who are wicked, those who are sinners may have life in Jesus Christ. And thus far, the explanation of Romans chapter 13 concerning our life as living sacrifices.